All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 95. We're back. We're talking TCU football. My name is Bob Akairi. I'm going to be joined by my regular co-hosts, J.D. Moore and Sirius. And we have a guest who's already in the audience. So I'm going to go ahead and get him up here right now. But we're going to be joined by Stephen Johnson, football writer for the Star-Telegram in Fort Worth. Just wanted to thank all of you for joining us as we get this all rocking and rolling. JD, have you made it up? Yes, absolutely have made it up here. Very excited to talk about some TCU football. Of course, I've got a little bias there because I am an alumni of TCU. But fascinating story this year with Sonny Dykes, first year at TCU, has now become the last remaining undefeated team in the Big 12. And right now it looks like that title is going to run through Fort Worth for the Big 12 championship. Uh, Steven, obviously uh, this is first year as well in Fort Worth. Very excited to see his perspective on a new program, a new mantra underneath Sunny Dykes where the guys seem like they're enjoying playing football. It's a fantastic environment right now in Fort Worth. Amon G. Carter Stadium is rocking. The student section is loud. It's going to be a very fun chat on what is so far a very fun team with TCU. And uh, Steven, I think you are on and up here. Yep, I'm here, guys. How's it going? Very good. Very, very good. Well, Steven, let's first go ahead and kick this one off with a huge comeback victory that TCU had this past weekend against Oklahoma State. It has been a while since we've seen TCU come back in a two-score game, especially that late in the game. What was going on with that fourth quarter when they were actually able to get some drives together and win it in overtime? Well, I think you got to give your hats off to the defense first and foremost. I think they held Oklahoma State to about 32 yards of offense. So they really just kept giving the offense time, I think, to really find the rhythm and finally find, start giving uh, finding opportunities to attack that Oklahoma State defense. You know, with the, with the way the game started, especially considering when they lost by about 46 points last year, you could understand if the game would have just got away from TCU. Like, hey, we're better than last year, but we're not quite there. But they just kept fighting. I think it's a testament to kind of the mentality of uh, Sonny Dice and the rest of the staff are kind of just imprinted on the entire program. Just move on to the next play. Keep doing your job. If you keep executing, good things are eventually going to happen. So I think the defense really set the tone and opened the door for Max Duggan, Quentin Johnson, and the rest of those guys to kind of come in and uh, have that big rally. You kind of mentioned that mentality that Sonny Dykes has brought in. And, you know, you've had 20-plus years with Gary Patterson. Uh, you had a couple of years that were struggling, at least since that 2017 team. Uh, but now you have this team that seems incredibly resilient uh, when they have the opportunities to be resilient. What's kind of been that change in mentality? Like, what is Sonny Dykes doing differently in Fort Worth than we've maybe seen from some previous TCU teams? Well, I think one of the first conversations I had with Sonny was, and he said he wanted TCU you to now be a player first program so I think there's been a bigger emphasis on uh, player well-being not saying they were be being mistreated or anything like that but I think Sonny really understands the modern athlete a little bit more than maybe uh, Gary did at the end of his tenure so I think the players feel empowered I think they're having a lot more fun obviously and there's things like what they're doing with nutrition like these guys they're taking all those small things very seriously you know I, I you know you're talking to different players around the team they said they immediately bought into what Sonny and those guys were preaching, that even if they didn't understand it first, they gave them an opportunity, and now they're seeing it play out. So, obviously, I don't think that's the situation last year or in previous years when they got down by 17 points, 14 points, where they would have been, would, would have been able to battle back, especially against a top-10 team. 
you know, Stephen, what, you know, I, I found that kind of an interesting comment about how he seems to be, you know, more player first. And I, and I get what you're saying there. So is it that Sonny Dykes kind of approaches it also from, I mean, it's weird to say it. Like, does he under, I almost said it like, does he understand, you know, the, this, the youths of today? But you know what I mean? Is it, is it that he just gets kind of the NIL and, and kind of all the things that, that appeal to his players to kind of bring it? to their level in a way where they feel more connected more, you know, more like the, because, you know, the cliche is anytime you go and interview at a, you know, media day, they all say we're a family, we're a family, but I mean, you know, but is this a situation where the players are generally getting that bigger connection with the team as a whole? It feels like that. And it feels like the players are able to kind of connect more with the entire, like Fort Worth, the entire community, you know, uh, the access, I wasn't here during the Patterson era, but every, all the stories I've been told, it's kind of like this is just a new day and age in terms of what you're seeing from the program, how it markets itself. You know, they come, they're always constantly saying, hey, we're DFW's Big 12 team. You know, we're the we're the team in the biggest market in this conference. So we want to keep acting like it, man. And I think with the players, um, I think he does understand NIL. He's okay with going to the portal. He understands, like, sometimes players need to do what's best for them. And I, I consider this the player empowerment era, not only in the pros and the NBA, but also in college now. Like, Players have options. They have a little more say than they did in the past. And I think Sonny is okay with that and doesn't need to control every little I mean, facet of uh, these players' lives and things like that. So I think there's just a lot more um, – there's a lot more maybe a, a type of freedom, a little energy around the program. That's just the kind of sense I've gotten kind of talking to people and just being around practices and things like that. Earlier this season, we had Jeremiah Donati on for a show, and one of the things that JD. he mentioned – <laughs> fantastic uh, athletic director stepping up uh, after Cristo Conte went down to Texas and one of the things that he mentioned when he came and did an interview with us again in that NIL space is the ability to market athletes in a DFW market one of the largest media markets in the country and Sonny Dykes is definitely taking that over by saying it's DFW's Big 12 team what has that marketing been like for these athletes are we seeing any kind of specific NIL deals or anything thing that has really stood out for any of these players well i can say for me personally i think and just kind of listening to readers and different fans alike they feel like at least from the media standpoint they're getting to know these players a lot more like certain stories that we've been able to do like on on matt's duggan on a, on a mark perry a colorado transfer at, at safety uh quentin johnson as well too some of those deeper uh one-on-ones those in-depth profiles i don't know if they were doing a lot of those before that but i think that's just one example of uh Sonny wants the people around the country, around this, around this market, to really know who his players are, and like beyond their stats, beyond the fact they play for TCU, they all have their unique stories and unique personalities. So I know that's definitely one way they've, uh, I guess, maybe stepped it up in terms from a marketing standpoint. What they've been doing with social media, with guys like Brian Carrington and things like that, is paying off on the recruiting trail. I think right now they're still uh, kind of in that top twenty-five mix and could have one of the best classes ever. So I think. I think it's there's been a bit of, bit of a more progressive message, I think. And now I think TCU is kind of getting up to standards and really taking advantage of being the fact that they're right in the heart of, you know, one of the places that loves football the most. And I think TCU has some of the most fas- passionate uh, fan bases I've been around. And I know uh, they got a couple guys with some big money, too. So I think it's helping them in, in all type of different areas. So obviously, you know, this was something where this is clearly Max's team. And I mean, it had been Chandler Morris had the starting job. But can you talk about how Max has stepped up to be a leader and, and be someone who seems to have a very high upside right now? 
Well, I think Max is just an overall great story, just a great dude to be around. Obviously, he was a guy that had about 30 starts under his belt when he didn't win the job or he had like the inclination that it wasn't going to be his job. It would have been completely understandable if he would have entered the portal, went to another Power 5 program, things like that. But he wanted to stay. Um, he told me when he committed to TCU out of high school, he viewed it as a four-year commitment. So even when he didn't win the job, he wanted to remain committed to the program and just really do his job and help TCU um, in the best way he could, you know, in, in his viewpoint, his three years weren't from a winning standpoint, wasn't what he wanted. So I think he said he couldn't really leave without helping them get out on top. And then obviously the, it was unfortunate what happened to Chandler in the first game of the season. But I think it's just kind of shows, you know, you know, staying ready, being ready uh, for the moment. And after that, man, he, he just meshes so well with this offense. And honestly, Sonny Dice and Garrett Riley deserve a lot of credit, as does he for just the, the improvement he's been showing the numbers he's been putting up. And I think overall, like everybody on the team really rallies around him and his leadership and his play style. One of the things that I think is definitely a huge story in Fort Worth right now is Max Duggan, at least when it comes to career yards, he's going up there with like guys like Trayvon Boykin, Andy Dalton, in terms of career passing yards. And this development that we've seen is something that a lot of TCU fans have been waiting for for a while now at this point. He's seen to really blossom underneath Garrett Riley. How has that coordination as his quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator really allowed Max Duggan to open up with this offense? Well, I think everybody you kind of talk to, his dad, the coaches, everybody, like he's just playing with more confidence. And I think week to week in, what, in terms of what TCU is trying to do schematically on offense, I think it remains relatively the same. Some things I heard in the past were maybe you were trying to do too much, switching things up from week to week. But TCU has a – they emphasize what they really do well, and they try to perfect that. So I think each game, you know, you kind of see uh, they do a great job of getting, getting him in the rhythm. Like I wouldn't be surprised, you know, they play against Kansas State. They start off with two or three of those bubble screens, maybe a short route underneath. And by the time you look up after the first driver, so he's completed four or five easy passes and now he's in the rhythm and then he starts taking those uh, shots down the field. So I think the offense has done a great job of just kind of simplifying things and just making things easy for him. And I think he's done a great job of just focusing on doing his job. You haven't really seen him try to force the issue. His decision making has been excellent. I think he only has one turnover and that was an interception on a Hail Mary at the end of the half. So, I mean, he's just been doing great, and you can just really tell how comfortable he is in this offense. Yeah, Stephen, Quentin Johnson, he's really sort of, I mean, he had obviously a slow start, but he's really just kind of risen to be a potential first-round pick as, you know, top receiver. And he's a bit like, you know, Josh Doxon and, you know, how he's a top target for, for Max. Could you, is that something you've seen there? I mean, how, how has it been for you to observe as someone who sees it day-to-day, -day, his rise to being such a prominent part of that offense? Well, I, I think he's for sure should go in the first round. I, I would take him. Um, but I think he has everything you really want in a receiver these days. He's a legit 6'3", 6'4", has long arms. He's a guy he can be explosive after the catch. You know, I think on that last, on that game-time drive against Oklahoma State, he took a simple curl out and took it 30 or 40 yards to kind of set up that game-time touchdown. So that kind of just shows what explosiveness, he's, explosiveness he has. And he just makes some of these crazy acrobatic catches, man. He like he can go up and get the football. So he kind of has everything you want. And what the thing that really impressed me the most was just how he handled that slow start. You know, with all this chatter about, hey, you're going to go in the first round, you could be an All-American, this and that. When you get, get off to that slow start where you're barely getting 30 yards a game, especially against teams like Colorado and uh, Tarleton, who those, those are the games you're expecting to put up numbers. It would have been easy for him to get frustrated, 
you know, be a bit of a diva, like, hey, I want to be a bigger part of the offense. But I think he understood that, hey, I'm facing all, facing all these double teams, but it's opening the door for guys like Darius Davis, Tay Barber. And when those guys are being so productive, eventually you have to respect them. And now defenses are, and he's just feasting on the opportunity. So his leadership is almost probably just as impressive what he's able to do on the field. Steven, it kind of seems like this TCU program this year, they're really getting, you know, the advantage of that senior leadership, veteran leadership coming from these skill players. Sonny Dykes has installed his program now. He's he's connecting with the players. They're off to a fantastic start to the season. Obviously, with Oklahoma and Texas exiting probably the next couple of years, what kind of a, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a power vacuum. Does this really make a big difference in setting Sonny Dykes up for success? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of what the marketing of being DFW's Big 12 team kind of comes to effect. You know, when those two programs leave, like you said, there's going to be a power vacuum. And I think people around TCU, especially with the start now, and I think they felt this way even before they kind of got out to this amazing start. There was a kind of this thought of like, you know, why not us? You know, we're in the probably the best recruiting hotbed in, in the country. We already have a history of success in the Big 12 and in other conferences. And now we think we have the right coach who already has experience kind of building a program up in this area. So I think TCU feels confident that they can be one of those teams that kind of becomes, uh, I guess you could say, one of the premier brands in the Big 12. And obviously this help. I mean, this start helps, especially when you beat in Oklahoma the way you did. Uh, that Texas game down the road, I know it's one game at a time. That game is going to be crazy as well, too. So I think TCU already felt it was in a good position to be one of those teams that could kind of rise to the top. But now this, I think this start is showing them that it could be a little bit quicker than maybe they even uh, anticipated. Steven, I know that you've also recently reported with Brett Yomark announcing, you know, Texas and Oklahoma are now, quote unquote, committed through 2025. We'll see how uh, realistic that still remains. But as they move to a 14 team league, like Brett Yomark has said that there's going to be scheduling where everybody gets to play each other at least once over the next two years. What does that look like for TCU's schedule going forward? I imagine they probably you know, protect like some Texas rivalries. But is this something where we're going to see TCU, you know, maybe drop a series or two? I think so. Um, I think for the most part, they'll keep all their Texas schools. You know, you'll be playing like a Texas Tech, uh, Texas, and all those guys like every year, at least while Texas is here. Um, I think a lot of fans pointed out to me that BYU might be a team that you might add to the schedule and kind of be one of those opponents you play every year. I think, you know, logically, logistically, it would make sense to maybe drop a West Virginia once a year or maybe not have TCU go all the way out to play Central Florida. So I think they'll keep all the Texas schools. Of course, you're adding in Houston. And I think kind of bringing BYU back and maybe establishing a new type of rivalry would also be kind of be on the schedule for TCU as well, too, if I just had a guess. Well, I mean, certainly uh, as well with BYU. I mean, I know they had several years with the Mountain West Conference Mm. uh, and with them being rivals as well. I'm sure, especially for that rivalry, if they get to have a renewal. I don't think they've played them since, I believe, 2011 when they were in that Mm. Cowboys Classic. But I'm sure if they end up playing BYU, that's going to be a rivalry renewed for TCU and BYU. Yeah, absolutely. That was a... I think I kind of remember those games between them. It was a long time ago. I, I, I still remember those Andy Dalton teams. But I think the fact that you can kind of bring BYU in who has its own kind of unique place in the college football landscape and kind of already have a team that you can say this is a natural rival for them, I think that's big for the conference. I think the fact that TCU is uh, excelling right now kind of gives the Big 12 maybe a potential kind of flagship program 
in the Dallas market is also good for the conference. So I think the Big 12 feels very strongly about its outlook, and I know TCU feels like it's going to have a, a big say in the positive outcome for t- uh, the Big 12 in the years to come. You know, Stephen, what does it mean for TCU playing its fourth-ranked opponent this weekend against K-State? This is a, an interesting run here. You know, obviously – they smashed Oklahoma. They had that. I mean, they've had two extremely memorable games already at Kansas and with Oklahoma State. Now it's K-State, all ranked four in a row. How do you think that's going to affect the program? I mean, and if they can make it through this this next game? Well, they're in the grind for sure. And, and honestly, if we're being honest, this is their fifth straight week or fifth straight game where they're just kind of in the, I guess you could say, in, in an emotional game. You know, starting with SMU in their rivalry week. Oh, Sonny's going back to his old team, Dallas versus Fort Worth. So they've kind of been in this in this unique space where every game has had some pretty significant stakes, whether it be around the program or in the conference. But I, I think what gives TCU fans confidence is really just the mentality of the team. As mu- as happy as they were to beat Oklahoma State, you could almost hear it immediately in the press conference, like, hey, it, it doesn't matter. You know, we got to move on. We got to put this to the side, you know, starting on Sunday and turn our attention to Kansas State because they're not going to care that we beat Oklahoma State. The Big 12 is just kind of – it's one of those years in the, in the conference where there's no guaranteed win. So I think TCU understands that, and they know that, hey, you, you've done great, first time in program history, you beat three ranked teams in a row. But now, you know, as Sonny said, your reward is you got to play a fourth one, and they're coming off a of bye week, and you haven't beat them in uh, three straight years. So now they, they understand, like, they haven't arrived yet. You know, they understand there's still a lot more to go. And I think as Sonny said the other day, the season's going to be judged on how they finish. So I think they're excited about it, but I think TCU really has a great understanding of we got to finish. We got to finish, and that starts with Kansas State. So, you know, Oklahoma State, it was a magical win, but it won't mean anything if we don't come out and handle business against Kansas State. I think at the beginning of this year, everybody kind of looked at TCU from inside the program and said, you know, eight and four would be a over the moon success uh, if we got to that level for this year. But now you're six and zero. you're looking at a potential possibility of playing for a, you know, Big 12 title, possibly an outside shot of the playoffs. Uh, What ends up being the new adjusted goal right now for TCU that you've heard inside of the program? Well, I, I think everyone right now is thinking about, hey, we think we might have the pieces to kind of go and end up in that Big 12 title game. You know, the schedule, it, it's tough, but I really feel like TCU, especially if they can win this weekend, you might be, you'll probably be favored in every game. The Texas line might be interesting, but I think right now, if you beat Kansas State, I think they'll probably be favored in the rest of their games, with the exception of maybe one potentially, you know, at Texas. So I, I think TCU has a realistic viewpoint of if we keep doing what we're doing, focusing one week on a time. We have one of the best offenses in the country. I think that's been pretty established. I know Kansas State is going to be their biggest test defensively, but it's an offense that's top three in yards per play, total offense, scoring. They lead the country in um, explosive play percentage. So they feel like they have one of the best offenses in the country. I think they've seen enough improvement from the defense, especially just making timely plays, that TCU feels like it has all the pieces to compete for a conference championship. And maybe that might have felt like wishful thinking in the offseason. But now with the way the players have shown it and what Sonny Dice is doing, I think TCU has TCU has and should expect to kind of be in that um, in the thick of the Big 12 race, if not to be the favorite. You know, one of the uh, the changes that TCU's had this season was bringing in Joe Gillespie from Tulsa and switching yeah. from a 4-2-5 to a 3-3. What has that implementation been like? Because we've seen this – you know, attempted at other universities before, 
where it is usually not a smooth transition um, just because you're trying to put, you know, square pegs and round holes a lot of times. How has that worked out so far for TCU? Well, I think everybody you talk to on defense says the defense is a little bit simpler and they're able to play faster. You know what I mean? They, they're not giving up as many big plays. Um, and I think they have some guys on each level of the defense, you know. So there's been some improvement. I really like the guys in their secondary. And like he puts a lot – Gillespie puts a lot on the plate of his safeties, in particular uh, guys like Miller Bradford, Mark Perry, um, Abe Kamara, and Bud Clark, who just came back last week and had that kind of terrific interception. So I think TCU – there's still rooms for improvement, but I think overall you're seeing the defense that's able to play a little bit faster and is able to force offenses into more mistakes. So it'll be interesting to see how they do against Kansas State. An offense is going to be committed to the run maybe more than the past couple of opponents. But overall, I, I like what I've seen from the defense. Obviously, there, like I said, there are room for improvement, but I feel like right now the defense can make enough plays to complement the offense, and that's ultimately the goal for TCU. They want to play complementary football, and I think the defense right now has done enough to kind of live up to that billing. You know, Bud Clark had a big coming out party against Oklahoma State. What does he contribute as defensive back to the Frogs? Well, and Bud was another guy. He was kind of in a unique situation, almost like Chandler. He was got balling out in the preseason. One of the last practices we saw, I think, you know, he had like an interception that looked like it would have been a pick six. A couple of days later, we find out he's in the boot. He misses the last and then the first couple of games. You know, A's playing great and uh, filling in for him. But then he brought in, and I think he he immediately showed what he kind of was showing in the preseason. You know, he's he's physical, he's flies to the football, and he plays with joy, man. He plays with joy when we talk to him, when he's on the field, the way he celebrates. You can tell he's a guy, he's out there that just loves playing football. So I think he just gives TCU another playmaker, especially in the back end. And uh, I think he's going to be a big boost for the defense, especially if he's kind of sliding back into that starter role or just getting more snaps in general. I know I've seen a couple of uh, former players here in this chat. What's up, Josh Carraway, the big man from some of those fantastic teams in the mid-2010s. What has been Sonny Dyke's relationship so far in connecting to some of these previous lettermen? Because, again, when you go and you change in a gigantic shift of, you know, Gary Patterson built this program, he's got the statue on campus, modern TCU football is considered to be built by Gary Patterson, and now you got the new guy coming in. What kind of bridging has he done with the old regime to kind of continue on the momentum that that has been built on that foundation? Well, we've, we've talked to a couple players, former players at practice. And like I said, that's just another example. Practice is always open. There's no telling who you see there, people in the administration, old players, obviously us. When we talked to them, they, they said, Sonny, you know, like you said kind of earlier, every program says they're a family and they're going to treat you right and things like that. But I think some of those older players that I had a chance to talk to, they feel like TCU really means that now, or Sonny really means that. They've been welcomed back. Like I said, to come watch practice, come to those games. So I would say he's done a pretty good job of establishing that connection, even to the past, even though he's a new guy, just got here. But it is a family. So I think those players, some of those older guys, like I said, I had the chance to talk to, feel like um, he's opened the door for maybe them to come back to a warmer welcome than maybe in the past. So I think he's done pretty good in that regard as well. Additionally as well, I know that TCU had finished their East Suites. Jeremiah Donati had talked plenty about that with the facilities arms race. Uh, you know, you've already got a built out Amy G. Carter Stadium. You've got the new basketball arena. You've got the indoor practice facility. You've got these new East Suites. What are new plans, if any, for some upcoming facilities, upgrades or work around the TCU football program? Well, I know of some. I don't know if I can say just uh, <laughs> say too much yet. 
But I, I can say that TCU, um, one of the first things they told me when I was on the visit here, it was that the nickname for it was a Texas Construction University. And I think they're going to keep uh, living up to that nickname. I know they have a few things in, uh, in plan kind of coming up for the football team. I, I can't say too much about it, but I imagine you'll be figuring out pretty soon. And from what, I, what I've been told, um, let's just say it's going to be a massive addition and we'll probably maybe one of the best in the, in the conference. So TCU is fully committed, I think, uh, when it comes to investment in terms of keeping up with the arms race and making sure – making their program as, as attractive as possible. You know, one of the concerns there is, you know, with conferences are, is cannibalism. You know, TCU's doing great. Will it get knocked down by one of the teams down the line? We're going to see if it's going to be West Virginia, Texas. A lot of big, you know, road games coming up there that could potentially be a hiccup for the Frogs. That is, of course, assuming they get past K-State, which is a big if. Is that something the Big 12 is going to see a lot? Because it's been some of the most, you know, for better or worse, the most exciting football in FBS this season, is that something that that may claim the frogs down the line? Maybe, but you know the game is the game. You know when you're in the in the conference, and I think everybody in the Big Twelve, including at TCU, you want the conference to be this strong. You know we hear it all the time about the SEC and the Big Ten. How do you got to go through this gauntlet to get to the playoff and things like that? So honestly, you know maybe if you're TCU, would you like one of these games to be a little bit easier on paper? Sure, but I think overall it helps. It may help your case down the line if you do drop that game. If your if your league is viewed as having all these quality teams, okay, maybe TCU goes eleven and one, but that loss is a quality loss just because you know the quality of the league. So it, it could happen. Like I said, TCU they got to go to uh, Morgantown where they historically have struggled. Texas looks like they're rolling. Iowa State just looks like they're just going to make every game ugly no matter who they play. So you never work, no no never know what could happen then. But I think overall, you know. TCU just TCU TCU understands what's in front of it, and hey, they know every game is going to be a dog fight. So you know it's going to make things harder, but that's the challenge you want when you're kind of at the top, kind of competing for championships. Stephen, we all know that hope is a dangerous thing, and it's still relatively early in the season. A lot can happen between now and then. But thinking about this overall Big Twelve picture and the reputation it has for teams just you know ruining each other, do you think if TCU wins out or, or, you know, maybe drops a game, they make it to the Big 12 championship game. Who do you think they're most likely to face? Because obviously we're going to get to see a, a rematch of another game, and they've had some great ones so far. Hmm. If I had to pick, as much as I hate to say it right now, it, it might be another game with Texas, honestly. You know, obviously Kansas, Jalen Daniels is hurt. It might be hard for them to keep pace. Oklahoma's already in the big hole. I'm not sure they have enough to kind of climb out of that. Baylor's kind of struggling on offense. Iowa State, no. But um, so I think right now, if I had to pick, I think Texas will be Oklahoma. Texas should be Oklahoma State this weekend. Let me put it like that. And they, if they do that, I think they'll be on the collision course where TCU has to play them in Austin, and then they meet again at Jerry World. You know, we want to do just a quick station ID. You're all listening to RCFB Talk 95. We're here with. Stephen Johnson, beat reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram on TCU football. You know, Stephen, we want to respect your time. Did you have a, some extra minutes? We've been going for about 30, but I know we have a couple more questions we'd love to talk to you about. Oh, go ahead, man. I'm here. I'm just chilling. I'm in uh, Kansas City right now in my hotel room, so I'm not doing nothing. Awesome. <laughs> you know, so Sunny Dakes has built up a series of recruiting camps branded as, you know, the DFW Showcase, where he's invited several teams throughout the country to see DFW talent. 
What kind of recruiting philosophy is played out because of those programs he's running? I think TCU is showing a bigger emphasis right now on really trying to get bringing those kids that might be a little bit closer to the Dallas metro area. Like, obviously, you're not going to be able to put up a fence around DFW. It's like Atlanta and some of these other major metro areas where kids are going to leave regardless. But you have to be in contention and get some of those high, higher quality kids, those four stars, maybe even put yourself in a running for the occasional five stars. So so right now, I, I think it's been having a positive impact. Um, I think TCU is making this presence felt a little bit closer out to the Dallas area with some of those programs. Like one of those initial conversations was something like, hey, we want to be involved with the Duncanvilles and some of those some of those more of those um, those powerhouse programs. because They produce some of the best players in the country. So I think TCU, um, TCU and Sonny Dice is taking advantage of that and it's helped them build up recruiting momentum, man. And I think they could be in line for one of the be- their best classes in recent memory. And obviously what they're doing on the field, it helps as well, too. Absolutely. And I know that one thing that has also been something that TCU has been trying to do, at least in trying to put a fence around DFW, isn't even necessarily about getting recruits and athletes to come to TCU, but also getting buy-in, not just from Fort Worth, but from DFW in general. When he brands his team as, you know, the DFW team, one of the things that I always think of is trying to make sure that they make the same amount of noise as, you know, as a Texas Tech, as a Texas Longhorns, as an Oklahoma Sooners in that region. What has TCU been doing recently to really amp up that fan experience to get guys to buy in as the casual T-shirt fans and make sure that they convert into season ticket holders and have the experience of knowing that going to Eamon G. Carter is a great time? Well, I think one thing is they really have stepped up their social media game. Just overall what they're doing, they got the little hip, hip. I don't know, the psycho toe thing or whatever they got going with that. That's been real popular on, on social media. And I think in a way they might be attracting maybe some younger eyeballs to them. Obviously, TCU is going to be at a disadvantage. It has one of the smallest enrollments in the Power Five. So you're not going to have that big, massive um, uh, alumni base. But what you can do is make the program as attractive as possible to everybody. You know, your casual fans, your your diehard football, Texas fans, older people, younger people. So I think TCU is kind of showing off that it's a – I don't want to say cooler because that doesn't sound cool – but it's, it's a cooler program. Um, obviously, putting those players out first, I think, also helps because, you know, in college, it's more so about the coaches. Sonny Dice doesn't want to be that. He doesn't want to be the star of TCU. He wants it to be a Max Duggan, a Quinn Johnston, or, you know, a Trey Hodges-Thompson. Those guys are the face of the program. That's how it's going to be from the, um, from the future going on. So I think TCU has just kind of really modernized its approach on social media, with how it markets its players, and I think it's paying dividends. Hey, Alex, we just saw you wanted to ask a question. Feel free to unmute and and hop in. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, thanks to you for doing this. Um, really cool, you. Uh, just a quick question. I'm I'm from the Bay Area. I'm a Cal fan, and uh, so I've been able to sort of track uh, Coach Dykes' career ever since he came here. You know, I've just found it really interesting. You know, he's been able to find a lot of success at a lot of other places, but never really found it at Cal. I'm just curious. What are your thoughts on on why that might be, and if this turns into the roast of Cal football, I, I understand. <laughs> uh, well, the best way I think I can put it, just talking to Sonny, I, I think, look, man, I think people don't understand when it comes to, like, making a good quality college program, a lot of it is want to. Like, that's from the administration, the coaches, the fan base, the alumni. Like, you really want to have to be good at this, and you have to be committed to doing that. Um, I don't know if Cal, from a logistics standpoint, was as all-in as maybe – 
Sonny wanted or, you know, or as TCU definitely is. I can definitely tell you that TCU is invested, is committed to being good. So I, I think I think that was the biggest reason. Obviously, he had some success early on but couldn't sustain it. And I think that's it. He said his biggest lesson from, from California was just at his next place, it needs to be a place. I know everybody talks about alignment, but that stuff matters. We're, we're in alignment you know, with the president, chancellor, the athletic director, and me about what we want this football program to be. And I don't, I don't know if California had the same appetite to kind of pursue some of the goals like you're seeing now at TCU. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for sure. You know, I, I, I can't resist. But one thing we can say this season is, at least from week one, we know TCU can beat Colorado. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a rough few days. Oh man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, somebody was like inevitably gonna have to lose to Colorado. I did not expect it to be Cal the way the season was going, but me neither. <laughs> hey, JD, I know Colorado you had a question. Yes, yeah, so uh, you know, he brings up the great point of you know, the idea that you have to have everybody wanting the same thing of facilities with donors, with administration. And I'm really curious to know because Dick Lowe was such a huge part of making TCU football happen. Uh, you know, he was one of the guys who was the big money donors for a very, very long time. And he, you know, since his passing, I'm curious to know, have we seen more old money come into the picture? Uh, has this largely still been like the Justin family is still one of the larger do- donors? Or have we seen like kind of like a new approach of more people coming to the table in terms of getting the wants of TCU football taken care of, at least financially speaking? Well, from the events I've been at, and my guy Ian's in here, and he he can might be speak, he could probably speak to this more than me. I, I think it seems like TCU is attracting some new eyeballs. Just from some of the events I've been at, some of the donor uh, events and parties and things like that. Um, I'm not too familiar with the area, so I can't say if it's old money or not. But I can say there's a lot of money around. It seems like every few days, every few weeks, I'm seeing another family commit to an investment or investing in TCU in this athletic program. So I think TCU has been casting a wide net. I know one of the first things I read about Jeremiah down here was just the lengthy um, list of things he helped fundraise for and he continues to do so. So I think TCU is, is still leaning on some of those families that have they've always had, but they're also trying to expand the net and increase the pot by bringing in some new families as well, too, or new donors, I should say, excuse me. I'm also curious to know, you know, talking about other people who have been in the program for a very, very long time, Victor Bushini, the chancellor at TCU, has been there pretty much as long as Gary Patterson had been. Uh, and I'm also curious to know, with this hire of Sonny Dykes, we've seen a long-term commitment from Vivo when it comes to football at TCU. But what does it look like when, you know, he's had this new guy that he's had to bring on board? Because certainly, you know, Jeremiah Donati is a guy who brought in Sonny Dykes. But Victor Bushini, I can't imagine, wasn't in the room helping make some of those calls as well to make mm-hmm. sure that a hire happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I think right now it remains the same thing. Like, TCU understands, like, as much as Gary did, you know, to kind of establish the success of the program, there are some some natural advantages that come with it. You know, the, obviously the academic side, the location, the geography. So you bring in the Sonny Dykes, I think it's easy to kind of maintain that commitment, like I said earlier, when he already um, – I guess you could say turned around a, an SNU program that he also kind of commented on. He wasn't sure if they had that same want to and that same buy-in. So I think in terms of, of commitment, I think everybody was in alignment, Jeremiah, um, Chancellor, and, and everybody together and what they wanted TCU to be. Like this hire was crucial. You know, if you're going to be the guy that comes after 
the goal, the Hall of Famer, the, the best the, the best that ever was or one of them. No, you got to you got to get it right. You got to get it right because there was always a situation or a scenario where the trage- trajectory of TCU went the opposite way. So I think the fact that they they found Sonny and everybody was on that same page in terms of commitment wise is just another one of the many reasons you're seeing TCU get out to this hot start. Excuse me. I'm curious because, Stephen, you're obviously you just moved into the area to cover the program not all that long ago. What have been some of your the surprises for you as a relative outsider kind of coming to TCU football? I know previously you were covering Memphis and I know you've probably covered several other teams before that. Mm-hmm. But what was the what were the impressions for you coming into this and, and what your expectations maybe were for the TCU environment versus also what you've seen in practice? Um, I would say from I, I was never really just sure how the fan how passionate the fan base was. I, I figured they were. Like I said, this has been a successful program. They're in Texas, but I think I've even been surprised by just the overall um how much passion there is. It kind of reminds me back home of Memphis. If you know anything about Memphis, it's a basketball city. So the U of M, the basketball team, is kind of the city or kind of the program that kind of gets everybody going, gets everybody going. And when I got down here to DFW, it seems like TCU kind of has that same pull in football-wise um, for the city of Fort Worth. So that was impressive. I think, like I said, the overall just the openness of the program now under Sonny, like I said, I know it's a new era, but just being there, you know, we're watching the, the first hour of practice. We're talking to all the assistant coaches, all the offensive coordinators. You know, sometimes you you kind of go to the football um, facility and you feel at home. Like you could just walk around, maybe pop in on somebody's office, just say hello and things like that. So I'm not sure what other program has that type of access. And the facilities here at TCU, even the regular campus facilities, and obviously the athletics as well, too. I was, I was just blown away by that. I think it's been a, a top-notch university. and It's been a top-notch experience as well for me. I can definitely say with the openness of the program now under Sonny Dykes, I think that's been a huge refreshing breath of air for a lot of TCU fans to kind of see how that sausage is proverbially made. And I think one of the things that I've loved is, you know, number one, you have a spring game that's put on a Friday night on an ESPN plus network, but the availability to actually watch that game. And then you have, you know, this hard knock style show uh, that's also going on through the season. Uh, If you had ever pitched, that you know during the Gary Patterson era I think you would have just been laughed out of that office but that openness has just been so refreshing to watch for a TCU program what's kind of been the benefit for these players to have that kind of openness in this new opportunity I I think they enjoy it man I think they enjoy I think they they feel like they have a voice now you know what I mean They, they have an opportunity maybe not for spotlight but for their stories to be told man because they play I think Sonny understands this better than anybody. You know, the coach gets paid all the big money, makes all the decisions and things like that. But ultimately, the success comes down to the players. And I think he understands that. So he wants them to have their moment. And I I think it's just one of the many reasons, like, they've been able to kind of just embrace what he's been selling from the the jump. You know, he said when he first got here, um, the first thing he did, or one of the first things he did was just kind of go around to as many players as he could with his wife and just introduce himself, do, like, mental – kind of just check in on them mentally. And from that moment on, I think he just really um, really connected with the roster and then obviously how he's handled things with the media, letting guys have their moment. I know Max Duggan has been able to kind of be all over, you know, all over the country with people learning his story, learning more about him, and maybe he wouldn't have had those opportunities in the past. So I think it's just one of the other reasons that they've they've enjoyed 
this hire and they've enjoyed kind of this new energy around the program. You know, you mentioned the importance of getting everybody aligned so that everybody's pulling in the same direction towards the same goal. Obviously, we saw Sonny Dyke go from Cal to kind of a little bit of a resurgence at SMU, kind of finding himself again, having a lot of success at that program before coming to TCU. It seems like maybe he's been a little bit more successful faster than a lot of people, than, than quite a few people were expecting. What impact has that had in terms of the TCU administration, do you think? Are they you know, accelerating some goals, some fundraising approaches that maybe, you know, they were like, you know, this is what we'd like to get done. This is our timeline. And now, you know, they're off to an, an undefeated start and, and just pedal to the metal pushing forward, you know, moving, moving those timelines up a little bit, because we all know that nothing drives fundraising like a successful program. Well, I think there are a few projects that they can kind of sustain this. And the one major project they kind of have that they want to announce in the near future I, I could see the timeline on that being pushed up if you say uh, you you won a Big 12 championship or you make an appearance in, in your first year. You know, I, I think that will kind of just continue that momentum. They already have established with fundraising and things like that. But but I think to me, man, when I was just was kind of just researching, and like I said, I was an outsider. I watched TCU a little bit last year. I obviously wasn't too aware of the story. When you just kind of start digging and kind of just looking into the details, they brought back basically 10 guys on offense. They got a bunch of seniors on their on their defense, and they landed uh, pre, three pretty good transfers: Johnny Hodges from Navy, Mark Perry from Colorado, Josh Newton from Louisiana Monroe. So I think just looking at it, and I think TCU understood this when they brought Sonny in. They was like, "We think we can win now." You know, forget what everybody else is saying about you know you guys might go six and six or another five and seven year. Uh, I think the players and the staff and the administration thought we got talent here. Just maybe if we switch up the energy, the messaging, and obviously the offensive scheme, we think we can compete right now. So I think right now they, there's a sense of vindication knowing that their belief in the <laughs> roster and the program kind of paid off. Colin, you've been patient. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, guys, for putting this on. It's a, it's a great uh, Twitter space. And <laughs> great to see so many Frogs Faithfuls on here. TCU alum working now out of Vegas for a sports betting integrity monitoring firm called U.S. Integrity. But, Stephen, I had two quick questions for you. Um, we've seen Donati with these three kind of cryptic tweets in different locations across the country. Um, last week in Denver, today in L.A. And we've seen some speculation about the consolidation in the college football space from a conference level. Um, wanted to see if you could comment on, on anything there. And then also kind of as a follow-up, we'd love to hear any updates on the Flying T logo. <laughs> Uh, well, I know they're still kind of negotiating that right now. You know, it's homecoming week. They might have something in the works. Uh, I'm not sure how far they are in advanced talks on that, but I know they've been – there's been some active dialogue uh, when it comes to using the Flying T logo. But as for your first question, I can say the Big 12 is going to be continue to be aggressive, man, and, and when it comes to expansion, the commissioner said it the other day. They want – if it's possible and if it, you know, adds quality to the conference – they want to move into the West Coast, into the Pacific time zone. So, and um, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, they say business is open. They understand right now. I don't know if I want to say the Pac-12 is vulnerable, but they feel like this, the future of the Big 12 right now is a lot more viable than some of these other conferences outside of the Big 2. So I think that was just, if there's anything to take away from it, just know that I think the Big 12 is still working on that. I know some of the talks of realignment have cooled off. But I can just tell you right now that Big 12 is still open for business. They're trying to be aggressive. 
and keep expanding, and they don't want to get left behind by the Big Ten or the SEC. That's good to hear and, and certainly have no doubt on TCU's ability to compete at a national level. Uh, this last week, TCU's overtime winner versus Oklahoma State was the fourth highest handle, which is dollar wagered on, um, game across the nation, which is impressive when you look at, at you know, what games they were competing with in that 2.30 time slot, um, looking at Alabama and Tennessee. So um, people love the Frogs and not just people in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Well, I know my, my friends back home love them. I made them a lot of money. I don't bet on the I don't bet on the teams I cover, but I'll give some tips to my friends. So I'm sure you had a couple bets from Memphis that were on that handle if you saw. You know, Colin, more than anything else, I love that you brought up the cryptic tweets because now I can ask questions about it without baselessly speculating on it. Because one of the things that, you know, again, this is a very stupid sport where we learn things of like you know, you find out that Jimbo Fisher is taking the Texas A&M job because he threw his Christmas tree on the curb or Mark or Mike Price gets fired from Alabama before he coaches a single game because, you know, somebody tells somebody in the back of a taxi who tells somebody else who tells somebody else about a strip club allegation or, you know, we find out all these ridiculous things in ridiculous ways. So I'm pretty confident that I am not the only frog who saw when Jeremiah Donati had a tweet of just a pin of him in Chicago, and then UCLA's uh, Martin uh, Jamond replied to that in a since-deleted tweet of a Mr. Miyagi nodding. I'm sure I was not the only one who saw that kind of cryptic tweeting. Is there anything that we can at least semi-say on the record? I know you've talked about, you know, the Big 12 is open for business, but is there any kind of active discussion right now for future realignment with TCU right now? (sighs) From what I've been told, I haven't heard necessarily anything of that. That doesn't mean those conversations aren't or are or aren't happening. Um, I think right now uh, TCU still views itself, at least the impression I've gotten of their future is being in the Big 12 and being one of those, you know, top names, top brands. So um, you can never rule out anything. And obviously TCU, whether it be for the Big 12 or maybe even another conference down the line, they want to come calling. They have some really attractive real estate. You're in Dallas. It looks like you might have had the right coach. So, you know, obviously that market is going to be crucial for the Big 12. And obviously I'm sure every everybody, every conference, well, except maybe the ACC, probably is going to be aggressive. So I, it wouldn't be surprised me if at least one conference maybe reaches out, seeing what type of potential they could be bringing in DFW's Big 12 team. Forrest, you've been really patient. Did you want to add something to the conversation? Oh, thanks for uh, having me jump in, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, this is actually really – surprisingly interesting conversation from my perspective as a longtime Southern Miss fan. Now, I mean, for maybe those who don't remember, Southern Miss and TCU played some great games back when Conference USA was good <laughs> prior to 2004. Um, so, you know, it's it's been interesting and, you know, sometimes frustrating to, you know, watch the continued success of, of TCU since they left uh, Conference USA along with several other teams. Um but, I mean, from my perspective, I think the future is bright for TCU. If I had a question, it's that with the continued conversations around realignment and, you know, all the rumors around uh, the Big Ten and SEC possibly forming a new league, um, where does that leave everybody else, right? Because, I mean, there are over, what, nearly over 100 other teams that still want to play football in some capacity, right? You know, what does that look like? 
you know, I'll just, uh, I, I'm happy to jump in for a second too. I think oh, one of the things totally. is, as uh, Steven jumps in, I think the expanded playoffs helped a bit there. I think mm-hmm. that's taken a little bit of pressure off of it. But Steven, I'll defer to you now. Yeah, my bad. My mic was still on mute. But I think uh, you brought up a great point. I, I think just kind of expanding the playoff field, I think it kind of, I don't want to say it makes some of those worries go away for some of those other teams. But I think right now this is the best possible path for everybody, having this expanded field that kind of creates access for everybody from at least maybe one group of five teams to obviously you could get multiple teams in from multiple conferences. So if, if things work out, you, you, you would think this could create more parity because now players, now these recruits understand and know that, hey, we don't only have to go to these same five or six schools to make the playoffs. You could come to a TCU who could win the Big 12 and get into that expanded field, or you could go to a, I don't know, say a North Carolina or a Baylor or something like that. So I think for right now, the hope has to be that the expanded playoff is kind of eased any need for you know something as drastic as that, and now it just creates this opportunity where everybody won't have a chance, but more teams and more programs can realistically say in the future, if things go right, we can make it to the college football playoff. And, hey, you know, football is different from basketball, obviously, but you could be looking at a situation like for some teams where making it to the playoff is the equivalent to some what we see from those teams that make it to the NCAA tournament, where that's an achievement in and of itself. And I think that's the best thing for the sport because right now it feels like if you don't make the playoff, you know, you're kind of – not that your season doesn't matter, but is it really a success like it was in the past? So I think expanding the field is just going to be really great for the sport in general. Expanding the sport, I'm sure, is also going to really affect that next TV contract, which I know with the Big 12 is currently being renegotiated with, you know, Oklahoma and Texas no longer being in the fold. What kind of opportunity is there for TCU? Because I imagine this new TV contract, you know, the tier three rights might not necessarily be the same as they were in this previous contract. They might have, you know, some value because they're in DFW, but since it's not led by cable and cable markets, that's also going to change. But what does it look like for TCU in this next round of TV rights negotiations? Well, when speaking to the commissioner, I, he made it seem like obviously money is going to be money is always going to be important for TCU and all these other programs that are involved. But I think right now the biggest thing for him, he wants to see more commitment than what he said called fringe benefits, and that, and that's in terms of, of marketing, storytelling, more emphasis on on student athletes because as the media, obviously we shape so much of the conversation and this kind of go back to the playoff for a second. One reason the sec can always feel confident they can get two teams in. I mean, we spend half the time at arguing, should they get three, three teams in? You see people already coming up with those scenarios right now. So I think right now, if you're the big 12, my extension TCU, the thing you're looking for right now is more commitment. I think to, to spreading that marketing, spreading that attention to all the conferences, not just the big 10 and the sec, Obviously, we know how important those, how big those brands are in there. But if you want to keep up with those guys, it, it goes beyond money. You have to kind of change that national perception of your conference, how everybody talks about the SEC and everybody talks about the Big Ten. I think the Big 12 and by extension TCU really wants to see that. So I think that's going to be kind of the – and just talk to the commissioner. It seemed like that would kind of be not necessarily a deal breaker, but it seems like he's more um, focused on making sure – he has commitment from Fox and ESPN to really step their game up in that regard and not just to be about, you know, what it looks like economically for each school. 
Stephen, I'd love to know your impressions of Brett Yormark because that's been an interesting fit. I mean, I found his background kind of intriguing where they got him from the Nets and all that, obviously previously. So how's he been? Because he basically arrived there around the time you've arrived into the market. So mm-hmm. how have your impressions been of how that transition's going to under his leadership? Um, I, I think he's been doing a good job so far. I, I didn't get a chance to meet him in person until uh, a couple of days ago here at Big 12 Basketball Media Days. He seems like a smooth cat, man. And I think at least when I talk to Jeremiah and some of the other people at TCU, they have a chance to meet him. I, I think people I think he's kind of energized the conference as well, too. He does have a unique background. Um, I think he has some fresh ideas just in terms of what he wants to do from a marketing standpoint. That's just kind of really has intrigued you know, TCU and some of the other programs around the Big 12. So I would say right now, you know, he, he's made a pretty good impression and that um, I think his approach of being aggressive in terms of, you know, whether it's potentially expanding the Big 12 or just making it a more marquee league has been well received by everybody from TCU on down. Steven, I know that you are still relatively new to the area, but in your experience in getting food in Fort Worth so far, what have been your go-to spots? Because, I mean, I know that, you know, Dutch's, Joe T. Garcia's, Heim Barbecue. There's so many places that are so loved by a lot of TCU fans. But, you know, we can actually get something of an answer as opposed to, you know, a lot of these coaches or ADs who have to, you know, recognize their sponsors or all the folks that they can't, you know, upset or necessarily anything like that. But in your first impressions in Fort Worth food, what has stuck out to you so far? Look, man, I, I won't lie to y'all. I haven't spent a lot of time in Fort Worth outside of work when it comes to just getting food and things like that. I have been to Dutch's. Um, I did get a really good burger from there. So they got they get high marks with me. Um, honestly, the best place I've eaten at in just the ov- overall area uh, will probably be LB's in Arlington. Shout out to y'all. Uh, soul food type of restaurant, kind of close to the Cowboys Stadium. So I and people keep, man, look, they keep badgering me about going to try the barbecue because I'm obviously I'm from Memphis. So everybody's been waiting for months, from my opinion, on who has better barbecue. So I think when I get back, I'll go check out Heim. But, you know, man, I, I got to do better. I got to do better. I'm sure some people are disappointed in the comments. But just know I'm going to step my game up once things start slowing down after football season. I promise y'all. Well, you know, Stephen, we want to respect your time. So we'll go ahead and start slowly wrapping this up. But before we do... Tell our folks out there where they can find you, your work, obviously here on Twitter and wherever else you want to tell them about. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate everybody from hopping on. If most of you guys, if you aren't already following me, my, all my work, just about every article is going to be on my Twitter page. And that's Stephen, the proper spelling, not PH with a V, M Johnson underscore on Twitter. Um, I work for the Star Telegram. You can find all of our work, Cowboys, TCU, all that good stuff online as well, too. And I appreciate you guys for bringing me on, man. We appreciate having you on, man. This has been a really interesting talk for ourselves and for our audience. We know that. And it was great to hear so many people join in, ask questions. Thanks again. Yes, sir, man. I appreciate you guys uh, bringing me on, man. It was a pleasure. All right. So just to go ahead and start wrapping this up, this was RCFB Talk 95. We were talking TCU football with Steven Johnson, beat reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. My name is Bob Ekhayeri. I was joined by my co-hosts, J.D. Moore and Sirius. We always enjoy having these and having you along with us. So thanks for listening. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.